This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Have you ever stopped to wonder what exactly success means to you? Is it money, fame, power, all of the above or none at all? I'm Dashran Johan and this is Redefining Success, a show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their lives, what makes them tick and what the word success means to them. My guest on today's episode is Natasha Zulaika. She's a conservationist and the co-founder of Coral Coo. Welcome to the show, Natasha. Perhaps you can start by telling me what exactly is a conservationist? What do you do? I'm happy to be here again um, in a new section in BFF, actually. Yes, Thank you I'm- for having me. All right. A conservationist, I guess, to me, is someone who works in the field of conservation. And this could be uh, wildlife conservation or um, some people work in um, the corporate side of conservation for environmental consultants. And there are you know, other environment-based jobs based on this. But right. what I do specifically is that um, I'm actually right now a full-time PhD student. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm researching on uh, human-elephant conflicts with um, the management and ecology of Malaysian elephants, which is attached to the University of Nottingham, Malaysia. So my research on elephants focus on the overarching problem of human-elephant conflicts. And these conflicts happen when elephants and humans share a landscape. And a quick example of a conflict could be when an elephant comes to your plantation and uh, raids your crops. Right. So that's, yeah, that's one of the most common conflicts happening in Malaysia. Um, but on top of this, uh, I also co-founded a non-profit called Coral Cool Conservation. Mm-hmm. And um, Coral Cool Conservation is a research-driven coral conservation um, non-profit. We focus on restoration work in Pulau Langtengah in Trengganu. And we emphasize on using science-based techniques to do so. So, you know, what you mentioned earlier is so fascinating, right? This whole idea, especially when we look at what you're... Uh, researching right now what you're studying PhD which is about human and elephant conflicts and all of that it's so fascinating because I don't think many people have any concept of what that is exactly perhaps you can dive a little bit deeper into that this whole idea of human elephant conflicts what is it exactly that you study what is the the problem in essence that you're trying to solve here so um since Malaysia is well, well, we still consider it a developing country. And, right. um, you know, since the 70s and the 80s, the plantation industry, either rubber or oil palm, has been like rapidly expanding. Right. And this is equivalent to forest shrinking. And forest is habitat to many different wildlife. And but for other species like megafaunas, like tigers and elephants, they require a big space to, you know, live, look for mate and whatnot, find food. Um, so... When their habitat is shrinking and plantations are expanding, unfortunately, these plantations are also an equivalent to a buffet for right. elephants, <laughs> especially in like fringing areas where, where they're like right next to the forest. Right. So you'd have like large groups of elephants, maybe in their 20s or 30, 30 individual individuals, and they would come and eat all your 
palm oil. Right. <laughs> you know, and then this is a problem for plantations because they're right. using mm. up to like millions, maybe even a month. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to find out specifically how do we make these two parties be able to share that landscape? And it might not be sharing happily, but sharing in a neutral way. We want to find out like how do these two things coexist together? Um, this can be done by, you know, using mitigation measures like um, electric fences or early warning systems. But my research is specifically on finding out the human behavior, like what are the psychological factors that would make people tolerate having elephants in the area. Right. That, that's, yeah. so, that's so interesting. So why conservationists exactly? What is it about animals and the planet, wildlife that you're so passionate about? And also when it comes to, let's say, elephants specifically, did the conservationist part come first or the elephant? Um, are you like fascinated by elephants? Do you, do you love animal uh, elephants right, as a species? Right. Like, I'm wondering like which, which part came first? It's always been conservation in general because I always see this like conservation versus human needs problem. Mm -hmm. So previously I worked with tigers. I did a little bit of work with turtles. Now elephants just because the opportunity popped up. Right. Um, And I I think that the problem is, uh, the problem is almost the same with every conservation issue. It's it's the humans. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, And the solution to this problem, hopefully if I, if I, if I do my research correctly, hopefully we'll provide a hint to solve these other problems as well. The, the core issues are the same. I guess I really didn't see myself doing anything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also growing up, um, growing up, I, I wasn't really that much into nature. But then once right. I got into my degree, like it, it was more like a purposeful calling, you know, if like if I don't do this, who will do this? Right. Yeah. So how how did that come about? Because you said you were not necessarily passionate about nature or this big nature lover growing up. So it seems like something perhaps rather recent when maybe in the past five, six, seven years or so. Um, mm-hmm. How did that, what was the turning point that made you go, okay, I need to do something about this. Otherwise, you know, who else is going to do it if if not me? Mm, yeah, I guess it's it's the knowledge and understanding that I got Mm. Um, you know, I guess it, it's all of it rooted from my um, bachelor's because I studied environmental science. Right. And um, I understood the whole concept of the Earth's carrying capacity. And this is how much resources we have. And this is how we have to use it wisely. Uh, what happens when we use it too much or a certain group of people use it too much, these inequalities. And um yeah, I just I just felt responsible, you know, like somebody has to do it. And for wildlife especially, because I mean, come on, if you look at really cute elephant, baby elephant videos <laughs> on YouTube, right. or like penguins <laughs> hopping, you're like, oh my God, how could you hurt something like that? <laughs> like, you know, Absolutely. you want to protect them at all costs. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that I think, yeah, yeah YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now that we got a better understanding of what is it that you do, I want to ask, how do you define success? Right, I I thought about this a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Because I think success to me is like feeling fulfillment in what you choose to do every day. Right. I want to wake up every day feeling motivated, feeling good, knowing that 
I work in the conservation field and I'm, I'm very motivated to do so. Right. And has your idea of success changed over time? Yes, a little bit. Because mm. earlier on when I started working, I thought that success would come up from working with like, the best people in the field. Um, but then after a couple of years, I learned that you know, that's not necessarily so. Um, because there are maybe some things that you want to do and you want to expand, but you know some people might be uh, stuck in their old ways. So success doesn't mean like working with the best people, but it's working with like, what you want for me. On the show with me today is Natasha Zulaika. She's a conservationist and the co-founder of Koroku. After the break, I ask her about the challenges she faces as a conservationist. Keep it here on Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Redefining Success. I'm Dashran Johan, and on the show with me today is Natasha Zulaika. She's a conservationist and the co-founder of Coral Coop. So Natasha, what does your day-to-day look like? Um, you know, is it sort of like you have fixed routines every day or is it totally random and it, and it depends on what the elephants are, are up to every day, for example? <laughs> <laughs> well, for now, my day-to-day is um, I, I wake up, I make sure I have um, breakfast and that my mind is starting to operate. Right. <laughs> and I think about my little existential crisis, like what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, okay, but all in all seriousness, um, right now I'm doing research, so it's mostly a lot of reading papers, trying to formulate ideas, formulate ex- um, my experiments on how should I test these hypotheses, how do I want to test my theories. Um, that's for my research part, but um, for Coral Coup part, it's a lot about um, getting people to know Coral Coup, what we do, how important the work is. So that's like, that could be something as simple as putting up an Instagram post, trying to attract as many people to adopt the Coral, finding different opportunities to reach out to people, like maybe um, give talks online or do outreach programs. Um, Yeah, that's that's the day-to-day that I have for now. And then when things get busy um, in certain seasons for Coral Coup, then we get to do field work, which is the glamorized part of being a conservation, I would say. Right. Um, yeah. So what 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 does what does that look like? Um, you say it's the glamorized part of doing conservation work. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what 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 does that look like? So for for my PhD, well, we don't. I don't really like get to track elephants. I get mm-hmm. to talk to people, which right. is also exciting because they are like my study subjects Mm -hmm. Um, I get to uh, hear different perspectives about how their plantation is you know currently being ruined by elephants and um, all these like sob stories but I have to remain like a very neutral point of view right Mm -hmm. so so that's the exciting bit about my research but the more glamorized part is Coral Coup's fieldwork when you know you get to get on a boat and go out into a beautiful island with blue water, sandy beach, right. <laughs> and dive. Well, we they do a lot of that. My team does a lot of diving. Mm-hmm. I help around here and there. Um, yeah, but the main part of fieldwork is basically planting the corals, which means that they dive uh, at least four times a day, almost two hours each dive trying to um, plant as many corals as possible and monitor them later. Right. 
Um, Natasha, I want to rewind the clock a little bit. Um, take me back to your childhood. How different was your perspective on um, career at that time? I also want to know, did you get good grades? Um, what kind of student were you at that time? And what were your interests and ambitions back then? Is it different from what you're doing right now? Right. Um, in school, I was definitely like the teacher's pet, <laughs> um, the one who would get good grades. I had a good, good group of nerdy friends. So we were always like, you know, study together. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've always been like academy, mm-hmm. academically inclined. Um, but I remember when I was 16, that's when you get to choose like art stream or science stream, yes. right? And then um, I had like 10 different ambitions. I was like, wow. okay, if I want, when I grow up, I think I can be either 10 of these. <laughs> <laughs> what and were those? They were, they included like, oh, being a doctor, um, being a photographer, like right. wildlife photographer. Um there's also like being a musician right <laughs> um, there was also an environmentalist I remember I, I asked my mom like how do I become one of those people in um, Nat Geo right. and then I was like what is that called <laughs> she's like environmentalist and I had no idea probably what that meant at mm-hmm. that age yeah um, but I guess I was always set to you know do something a bit more like sciencey right so were you always, uh, because you seem like you were someone who's inclined towards both sides, right? Either science, you could, you were interested in science, you were interested in the environment, you were also interested in photography and, and all of that. So was it like a difficult juncture where you had to choose between science and arts? What ultimately made you decide to choose science? Right, because our school system, right? I remember right. arts, mm. um, um, the art stream had like more, um projects where you had to like actually draw and make yes. art. <laughs> and I was horrible at that. Mm. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, there's no way I think I can score in this. And then yep, yep. there are other there are other subjects like econs and accounts that I knew that I was like, I can't do this. I, I really I looked through the textbook and I was like, oh man, I can't. <laughs> but then right. when I scrolled through like biology uh textbooks, I'm like, oh this is cool. This is interesting. I want to know more. Mm. Yeah. So, so it wasn't really a difficult choice. Right. So what made you choose the course that you pursued um during your degree, which ultimately, you know, opened your mind up to to conservation and and the environment on a much uh, deeper level? Right. It's purely by chance, actually, mm. because after SPM, I was like, um, okay, I have no idea what I want to do. What are the possible, what, what are my possibilities? And then we were looking at scholarships I could apply to. And um, I I ticked all the right boxes for environmental science. Right. And I was like, okay, let's give this give this a try. I, I guess it's more like biology-based stuff. So let's, let's try it. So it, it's by, by chance, honestly. Yeah. So a lot of, you know, your entire career, there's something that you, you're not really uh, passionate about, some, a career that you love, came about um, by chance, essentially, right? It's not something you thought about since you were a kid. So how do you reflect on um, these past uh, few years and, and also, you know, looking back at your high school and, and things like that? How do you reflect on the past um, knowing that you, end, you know, you've ended up doing, finally uh, doing what you love, although you did not have that at the back of your mind growing up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I've always had this like um, 
this mentality of if it's meant to be yours, it will be. So I've always like just continued to do what I like. So it started mm-hmm. with an internship with Turtles and then being more involved in like um, associations or societies that had to do with conservation, meeting people, um, going birding, going herping, um, which led me to like different opportunities to keep being in the field. So right. um, it, it's it's a bit of luck, but a bit of like, um, you know, you have to be a bit cheeky and network mm-hmm. your way. And um, the most important part was like, enjoying myself like well whenever I took an opportunity I always enjoyed myself doing what I do so that that was like my main motivation like I just want to have a good time and learn something while I'm at it. What does it take to sustain a career as a conservationist in Malaysia? <laughs> uh, that's a very good question. <laughs> Realistically you need um, proper financial support because mm-hmm. Every field would have its problems with, you know, not getting paid enough. Right. But I think conservation is such a small circle and they're usually a group of highly trained experts. And, um, you know, we're not like some startup tech company where you come to the office and you have like a nice um, bar snack, uh, right. a, a snack bar, have your breakfast and coffee. Pool whatever, table. You know? Yeah, pool <laughs> table, foosball, you know, like we don't have that. <laughs> but um, all we have is like our burning passion for animals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but honestly, I think we really need to get um, compensated a bit more mm-hmm. because without this financial security, it's really difficult for you to like sustain yourself. And, and I definitely get, there's a bunch of, um, people I know who had to go corporate for a while, right? Uh, you know, earn their money, um, save up, and then they get to do what they do in the side. But I guess I have been lucky in the sense where like, I don't really splurge on ne- unnecessary things. Mm. Just once in a while, I would like treat myself to like a holiday, like in Sabah or something, just to like, you know, get my peace of mind. But right. you really need to hold on to whatever you have, uh, whatever financial support you have. But if if it means going away to corporate to support yourself a bit more, then that's definitely something important that you should do. I want to ask this because, you know, there there might be a lot of uh, younger listeners perhaps, uh, you know, listening to this and, and, you know, they might have dreams of becoming a conservationist as well. Conservationists can make money. Uh. How do you make money, uh, Natasha? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to answer that myself, right. but <laughs> I believe that when you do good work, um, for example, how nonprofits work is that um, you get grants, right? Right. And um, or you get um support from other people in uh, or donations, and um, I believe that once you have the capacity to ask for a grant um, that recognizes the importance of your work. So you have to do a really good job, first of all, get recognized and then get a higher uh, like higher amount of money that you're getting from them and then compensate yourself, like pay yourself enough, you know, like compare, that, compare what you do to what a corporate um, level job would do and, mm-hmm. you know, pay yourself that much. So, of course, it's going to come with sacrifices first. Um, so if you're going to ask like, oh, are you going to make money immediately? Well, no, mm-hmm. honestly, no. But 
you can work your way up. I'm 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 trying to be as positive as possible because that's what I'm telling myself too. Right. That I'm working my way up, and for me, up doesn't mean like I can buy a BMW. Yeah, but up for me means like I can be comfortable. I have like very little debt, mm-hmm. and and you know managing my finances to. Like being moderate, lah. I would right. say, you know, Absolutely. you don't need a lavish. You don't need a lavish lifestyle. You don't need to eat out. Um, eat your wagyu steak every weekend. You know, right? You don't even need to have wagyu steak at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, absolutely. Um, try to like refocus yourself. Like, what are your needs? Um, you know, and and what's important for you to have that financial stability. Talk to me about how you've been um, trying to work your way up. Um, and when it comes to conservation, um, becoming a conservationist, is it uh, about following a specific um, academic path? For example, um, for, uh, do you have to study environmental science and then uh, do a PhD in a particular, a, a very specific field of, of conservation that you like to explore for, perhaps and, and things like that? Um, what do you do? I would say starting with volunteering opportunities would be the best mm. um, or getting an internship. And right. then if you really like the organization, you know, build that relationship, um, show them that, you know, you're motivated, you can do this, you're independent. Um, and, and usually like a lot of people who intern with organizations get absorbed like mm-hmm. um, because it's very difficult to find good people in conservation. So that's the benefit, you know. you If you are someone who is um, highly motivated and uh, you can work independently, confirm the organization will want to absorb you. And the, the trick here is don't be afraid to, you know, ask for the comfortable pay that you want. Right. You know, uh, the, yeah, I think that's a key, um, that's a key element that people, or oh, I have a job in conservation, I should, I should, bersyukur, you know, I should be very mm. grateful. Um, but yeah, don't, don't be afraid to like ask. If you, if they say no, then, you know, ask again the next year. Uh, but right. this is what it takes to sustain yourself. So that that's how you, that's how you will grow. So being having a background in environmental science, yes, it will benefit you. It will help you make that jump already. Um, you don't necessarily have to get a PhD, no, mm-hmm. unless you're really interested in something that you're like obsessive about. Mm-hmm. And maybe if you want to get into academia when right. you're um, yeah, in the future. But if you want to start like right after school or right after uni, I would start with volunteering or interning. Do you have plans to get into academia in the long run? Mm, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's great. I'm thinking yes, but like maybe after, like like maybe in the late 40s. Right. Because I want to do all the active stuff first. <laughs> mm. So what are some of the biggest challenges you face, Natasha, as a conservationist? A lot of people think that it's, it's not really an important job. Politicians, for example, they... Mm ignore everything you say (laughs) when you try to tell them that this forest is important because it supplies water to a couple states they're like Mm -hmm. yeah i know but i'm gonna chop it down anyway because um it's gonna make me money so you are always going to be against something that people think are more important than what you are right and but here you are trying to explain to them that 
if you don't do this, we're going to have bigger troubles in the future. So um, that is one of the most annoying challenges. And I think it's a communication problem. Like right. We haven't been communicating science um, in the most effective way, but it's also not that easy to do so in the first place. Um, so you always feel like the world is against you when you're, right. you're working in conservation. And that's that's quite a challenge. And you're just like, oh, who cares sometimes? Like, why do I even do this? Because nobody cares except me. <laughs> right. And how do you process those emotions? What do you do in those um, periods, right? Um, y'all know the signs be- better than anyone else. And y'all can see how dire the situation is. It can be a particular forest. It can be just the, the whole ecology as a whole and, and things like that, right? Um, what do you do in moments where it, you feel like you're just screaming and screaming um, like the characters in Don't Look Up? You know, <laughs> you're just screaming and screaming and nobody's listening to you. The politicians, the people are just going about their lives. What do mm-hmm. you do in these instances? to keep yourself going? For me, it's focusing on the little things. Mm. Um, you know, every time I find myself reflecting like what I have done. Right. And it, for me, it's like, if I have done my best at that very moment, if I'm very sure that I've given my best, I've done everything I can in my own capacity, then, you know, I, I can make my peace with it. Like, okay, then this is just not it. Right. But, um, to keep me going, I, I do I focus on the little things like when I go to um when I go to a waterfall, mm-hmm. you know, I think about like, oh hey, at least there's still this one waterfall that you know other people enjoy as well. All it's right. still here, it's still flowing, it's great. Um, but you know, as the days go by, then these things slowly start to dilute a bit. Right. Yeah. So I'm still trying to I'm still trying to find ways um, to find different ways to try to digest these feelings. And um, yeah, now, well, I, one of the things that make me kind of like happy is focusing on the things I like so that I become right. like a plant mom. <laughs> so <it's like laughs> collecting fantastic. my little plants like, oh, I've got a new leaf that's growing. Yay. Oh, that <laughs> Forget about that. all the bad news in the yes. world for a while, you know? Yeah, the little things in life, right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So what has been your proudest moment so far? You've been doing this for a few years. What's been your proudest moment as a conservationist so far? I think that there's no like one moment, mm-hmm. but in general, it's like being recognized. All right. Um, you know, like either by receiving awards, like I was um one of the 40 under 40 last year. Um, yes. For sustainable initiatives um, under Prestige Malaysia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people are like, eh, LA, 40, but 40 under 40, whatever. But, you know, you got the message of environmentalism out there. Yes. And, yeah. For me, that's like, okay, that's a win. Mm-hmm. Or like after talking to a bunch of people um, and they decide to adopt a coral, you know, it's like you manage to. Um, kind of like influence or remind them that, you know, there's uh, conservation and environmentalism is important and they want to support you. And I'm like, yes, okay, yes, adopt the coral today. Thank you. <laughs> Very <laughs> proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. How do you measure growth? Yeah, I, I, 
I woke the when I was thinking about this question this morning, I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know how to answer this really. Right. It's like, oh, do I like stand against the wall and um draw <laughs> a pencil <laughs> over my head? But I know I stopped drawing like a couple of years ago, really. <laughs> but I think I if I were to answer this like simply mm-hmm. like simply like as simple as possible, I think it's by setting realistic goals, right, and then achieving them, and then reflecting at how you achieve them and how you can do better. Give me an example of a simple goal. Mm, okay, so for Coral Cool, mm. we want more people to know about us, right? Right. And for me, um, how I would measure that is by seeing growth on our Instagram account. Right. Oh, it's like a very simple example. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, I set a realistic goal saying that, okay, I want to achieve 500 followers by um, half of the year. Yep. Yeah. And then I see, and then after, in June, I reflect, okay, what did I do? Okay, what can I do better? And then, you know, you move on and then you do bigger things. You do bigger things better. Right. And I think that's how you grow. I think that's the best way you can grow. Fantastic. All right. Before we wrap this conversation up, Natasha, just one mm-hmm. last question. What does it feel like uh, doing something that you love? It feels kind of awesome. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it feels good because I feel personally fulfilled mm-hmm. and, and I love what I do and it has its challenges, but those challenges motivate me yes sometimes i'm not going to be all happy clappy about it like yep. it is challenging and it's not for everybody and you need a good group of um people who support you right. people who are who think alike and 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 are willing to be there for you whenever you have these days that you feel really down but Overall, I just feel like my place on this earth is like, yeah, that's what I'm meant to do. Yes, this is my quote-unquote calling. (laughs) Fantastic. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. That was Natasha Zuleika. She's a conservationist and the co-founder of Coral Coo. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcast from. I'm Dashan Johan and this has been Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.